quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, and welcome to the podcast, So There I Was, which is how all great aviation tales begin. This is Fig, and this is episode 71 with Taco, entitled, They Were Gonna Die Anyway. <laughs> an amazing, an amazing, well, I won't even spoil what that's about we yet. Can. We'll tease it a little more here right. in a minute, but... Oh, man, was that a great opening story. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I was like, oh, God, this is how this is going to go. And it did. Oh, boy, is this great. And that's the way it went. (laughs) Yeah, that's how it went. Yeah. Some of the admin stuff, Fig. We've got now three levels. Count them, three. Actually, four. Cuatro. Cuatro. At, uh, Patreon. Right now, you can be at sodera.us slash Patreon. You can become a pilot, a section leader, leading two aircraft, a division leader, leading four aircraft, or a tanker aircraft commander to keep our tanks full and the engines running to keep these shows coming to you. And with each of the four levels of membership over at Patreon, you can get something. With all levels, you get some of the background stuff that we don't put out on the website as part of the podcast. For instance, we have an interview with Punchy talking about how he got his call sign. And within the next week, I plan on putting up Jungle Jim Ross's interview, which is about 50 to 55 minutes long from uh, about 15 years ago. We mentioned him a few shows back. Uh, He recently passed away, but was a legendary Blue Angel lead and opposing solo. That'll be a good one, too. It it really is a good one. Uh, Apologies up front for the sound on that. But if you decide to become a section leader, we're going to send you a koozie. If you decide to become a division leader, we're going to send you a mug. And if you decide to become a tanker aircraft commander, you get anything you want out of our merch store. We'll give you any one item in our merch store and we'll send that to you. We got to thank a new aircraft tanker commander this week. None other than Sal Marinello. I asked him, did he want a dedication, a call sign? What is it he would like? And he said, I just would like to send this dedication out to all the men and women who have served their country in the armed forces, no matter what they did in the military and served a higher purpose than themselves. At great personal cost, they signed a contract that they would protect and defend the United States and the freedoms of all Americans. Thank God we have men and women willing to do so. Amen. 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 So God bless you. Thank you for that. Thanks, Sal. We had a couple other really good emails over the past. We get some good ones, but uh, the, these two were, were really good. Fig, you've got one from another one of our Patreon supporters. Yeah. Uh, so it reads, I just wanted to let you guys know, so there I was, is playing almost constantly and religiously whenever I can have my phone out at work, at home, doing yard work with my earbuds in, and of course, on road trips. I hope you guys are able to genuinely take the time to realize how important this podcast is to so many. I know it is an absolute blast for you guys each and every single time you sit down with a guest to be able to just simply enjoy yourselves and have a good time talking to old or new friends. The podcast goes deeper than that as well. Though it's an opportunity for guests to sit down, have a drink, laugh, and connect with people who share similar experiences It is a voice for those who have a cause that need to be heard, such as Captain Williams' fight for the Medal of Honor. It's an outlet for those to heal by being able to tell others how they feel and what they went through in order to relieve the pressure and burden 
of their lives, like Chaz. It's an historical record for the stories of heroism and perseverance that may otherwise go unnoticed, as told by guests like One Eye. For the viewers slash listeners, it is that and so much more. For me personally, not only are the stories just downright uh, just a downright thrill to listen to, it's also a major boost to my mental health. When I first picked up the podcast at the start of last summer, I thought I was just gonna be I thought it was just gonna be a show to listen to once in a while to hear some cool pilot stories. When episode one kicked off and I got my first listen, I was hooked. I've been fighting depression since I got out of the Marine Corps. And I am just now finally working on myself to do something about it. And it's genuinely all thanks to you guys. Wow. Damn. The podcast got me out of my slump and overflowed my soul with happiness and joy. The stories allow me to connect with my passion all while pissing my pants from laughing so hard. <laughs> you guys are absolute best. And uh, as stated, you are doing... Uh, what you are doing is so incredibly important for the community as a whole and for me personally. I cannot thank you enough for all that you do. Wow. Oh, there's more. Should I continue reading? Yeah, please. This is a very long email just for me to send you guys a picture of an accomplishment I, I achieved while listening to the podcast. But I also wanted to take the time to let you know, while for you guys it's a great time to talk and listen to guests for an hour or two, about 163 hours in Lawman's case. Every interview <laughs> makes it so much more of an impact that you may real that that you may realize in the moment. I know the importance and significance certainly isn't lost on you. There probably wouldn't even be a podcast in the first place. I just hope you are able to sit back sometime and tell let it all sink in whether it's embracing your own happiness for what you've personally achieved with the podcast or realizing the larger impact on every guest and listener you have reached. All of the reasons, all of those reasons and many more make me so beyond grateful to not only, to not just only be a Patreon member, but the first Patreon member. Now, with all that being said, enjoy my milestone screenshot. Uh, this was uh, this was where he sent uh, sent us a picture of his uh, where he was listening to the podcast, which was right. a road trip, a, ro a road trip through Vermont. Uh, thanks again for everything you do. You guys are the best. I will see you soon live with Doc Doc. Can't wait. Don't uh, sit on the collective or and check six. A very uh, signed signed a very loyal listener and supporter. Right. <laughs> wow. Wow. That kind of email is overwhelming right i mean it right. just really is it's humbling if you wonder if anybody's listening and then you get an email like that you go wow. yeah but it's not yeah. us it's the guests who are doing all of all totally. the heavy lifting we're just providing them a a, a platform a, to to tell their stories yeah and boy we hear we hear we hear good ones every every week it it is amazing and there's more good ones this week to follow so thank you so much we're we're honored and humbled to get to get letters like that Fig, I got a question for you before I read this next letter. You ever been struck by lightning while you were flying? Yes, I have. Scared the living shit right out of me. <laughs> terrifying. It is Absolutely terrifying. terrifying, right? I did yeah. one day too, and I was in an MD 11, and, and we were at about six or 7,000 feet. We were on downwind getting into home plate, and it was like 
a the surface of the sun and a and a shotgun blast were in the cockpit with us all of a sudden and yeah. everything was gone blank all the instruments you know I'm like oh if you know the engines are running okay so that's good and slowly I realized it was my night vision that was lost not the <laughs> you got your cones rods or whatever they were bleached completely yes yes yeah. so they all started fading back in but everything worked flawlessly and that's not by accident. Airplanes get hit by lightning fairly frequently, as terrifying as it can be. I'm so grateful that uh, people like this have, have written in. This gen actually wrote into the Mac Geek Gab, which is another show I co-host with. And uh, the co-host on that one, Dave Hamilton, you might have heard me mention his name once or twice on this show. Oh, yeah. He seems to be a lightning rod. His equipment gets pounded all the time. And so that's what uh, prompted this gent, uh, Patrick Madigan, to write in. And told us a lot about what he did. Well, he was working at the Bretton Whitney Wilgoos facility. And he said he was about 24. So that was almost 40 years ago. He says, we'd set up our FADEC. And a FADEC is F-A-D-E-C. That's a full authority digital engine control. And instead of a carburetor or something similar, jet engines don't have carburetors, but the fuel control that supplies fuel to the engine. When you do throttle slams, you move too much, too little. You could flame a jet engine out back in the old days, and the computers all control it now. The digital engine controllers go, yeah, okay, you gave me full throttle, but you don't really want that. I'll give you what you want. And, and it's a lot of, what would you call it, PFM? A lot of magic going on back There's there. There's a lot of PFM in that little black box, for yes, sure. Yes, there is. Yeah, so he was working on the FADEC, and they were working on it for the F-100 engine for the F-16 and 15. And in the Will Goose facility, they set up a complete Pratt & Whitney 2037 engine with the engine electronic controller mounted on an uh, engine mounted just as if it was on the nacelle of an aircraft. So the engine was completely functional and hung from a stand that mimicked an actual engine mount on the plane. And he says, then we built a machine that I think was called a MOX generator. He spells that M-A-C-H-S, which is a bank of large capacitors capable of simulating a full-scale lightning strike. He said, we charged it up for about a half a day and finally discharged it through the engine. The strike was louder than a shotgun and everything failed. We panicked. He says, except we actually blew up all of the monitoring equipment 50 yards away. <laughs> he says, but the FADEC worked perfectly. He says, we purchased a bunch of fiber optic cables to isolate the discharge from the monitoring equipment, and, and it was all good, but minus about $50,000 in custom-built computers no. to monitor the controller's performance. But the controller worked great, but all the, all the monitoring stuff was shot. <laughs> Oopsie. That's funny. Yeah, funny, <laughs> terrifying, but uh, thank God yes. they're doing that kind of testing. But uh, and then right? sharing that with us, we really appreciate that, Patrick. So, yeah, man, thanks a lot. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. Well, we don't have any official sponsor this week, but if you'd like to sponsor the show, reach out to those fine folks over at BeckBeatMedia.com and talk to them about becoming a sponsor. We'd love to have you. And if you wanted to write to us, questions, comments, rude remarks, send the rude, mar rude remarks to who. Well, send the rude remarks to sticks at so there I was dot us. Yeah. Uh, all uh, you know, all the questions, the, the nice, the ones that are easy to answer, send that to fig at so there I was dot us or repeat at so there I was dot us. But the hard ones, they need to go to sticks. Absolutely, make it more for it. <laughs> He's just wicked smart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he he makes us look uh, well. I won't say it. 
Hey, one other thing we want you to do, please. Get on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or threads or whatever your social media preferred outlet is and tell your friends about your favorite episode of our show and get them hooked like you are. Yeah, Share the show. We are growing, but we need you to share the show. That's right. Share the show. Please share the show. Just once to 50 people or 100 people. Be annoying about it. Oh, man. I think we should talk ever so briefly about our guest this week. Oh, and next, we're going to break it up into two shows because we went about two hours with him. It He's went got a lot of good fast. stories, man. He does have a lot of good He's stories. He's done a lot of things. He's got a lot of good stories. Yeah. Taco Bell. He was a C-130, Marine C-130 aircraft yeah. commander. KC. Marine KC-130. Marine KC-130. Yep. And a retired lieutenant colonel, United States Marine Corps. And he opens up with a story that I don't want to spoil, but that's where we got this week's title from. <laughs> it's a good story. It's a really good story. As a matter of fact, he, he had me guessing uh, halfway through the story if it was, uh, well, how it was going to end. And uh, I, I thought I knew how it was going to end. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, strap in for that one. It's a good one. But then he sp- talks about spending some time in Okinawa, crawling through some caves, Finding uh, remains of soldiers in caves from the from the World War II era, oh my God! And nasty, creepy crawlies falling all over. Right. Why did it have to be spiders? That's all I got to say. Right. <laughs> and then Iwo Jima. He he was uh, lucky enough to get to uh, fly to Iwo Jima and go uh, through Iwo Jima uh, at the memorial. As part of right. a memorial for the Iwo Jima uh, annual memorial, it was pretty uh, very right. uh, unique experience. He has spent a good bit of his life dedicating himself to service of those who have either received the Medal of Honor or veterans in general. I mean, it it isn't just limited to those guys, but he he has clearly spent a lot of time and a lot of effort in service to veterans. So thank you for that, Taco. Yeah, he's a special, he's a special dude. Then we had a new theme this week. New theme. New theme. What is it? It seems they come in waves. Last week, we had a guy with a Fokker 100 story. Right. And so, yeah, there's another Fokker 100 story. <laughs> At least we're not killing livestock like we were for a while there. We were right. killing livestock every episode. Exactly. That was terrible. That's another terrifying Fokker 100 story. I'll tell you what. I think we should get out of the way. I'm going to tell some of these stories. Thanks for your patience, everybody, for listening to this long intro. You're going to enjoy Taco. Until next week. Don't sit on the ejection seat. Smallest cockpit. <laughs> On the tanker, through the weather. Oh, and to the uh, tanker crew who uh, did that. Thanks a lot. We really appreciated that. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Well, there I was crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fun. So there I was. I was over the North Atlantic. We were flying from Milton Hall, England, up to Keflavik, Iceland. And we're about 200 miles outside of Keflavik. And we get this call on guard. And it's like this. Marine tanker, Marine tanker on guard, spade 1-6, how copy? And everyone's up there just jaw jacking, talking. As they continue talking, the FO, the co-pilot, I'd gotten out of the seat. The AC had gotten back in. Aircraft commander had gotten back in the left seat. I'd been riding in the left seat. He was back sleeping. He comes up, taps me on the shoulder, says, hey, uh, get out of the seat. And I'm like, yes, sir. So I get out. My buddy, let's just call him Tony, 
is sitting in the right seat. And the guy goes, uh, Marine tanker, Marine tanker, on guard, spade one six, how copy? And everyone's still talking. Tony goes, shh, shh, hey, did you guys hear that? Hear what? And everyone got kind of quiet for a second. And you hear, Marine tanker, Marine tanker, on guard, spade one six, how copy? And Tony jumps on the radio and goes, hey, spade one six, you got Otis two three, go ahead. And, and Bernie, the aircraft commander, turns to me and goes, or turns to him and says, I, I, I got this. I, I got this. Don't, don't worry about it. Hold on a second. Hey, uh, Spade 1 6, come up um, uh, 3 4 3 point two, whatever it's switch. And so he switches freak and, and uh, he goes, uh, Hey, Spade 1 6, you got uh, Otis 2 3. What can we do for you? And the guy's like, Oh my God, are we so glad to see you? Um, we're up here with uh, uh, F4T, we're on cap and we lost our INS is dumped. And we need a DF uh, steer back to Keflavik. And uh, can you guys spare some gas? We're like, what? And anyway, he turns around, looks at Navigator. Hey, how far do we have to go? How much gas can we give? And so he comes up with the number. And the engineer, everyone's kind of getting together, doing their stuff. Engineer leans over and he goes, hey, sir, I hate to tell you, but the uh, number number." two basket is uh is the helo basket and the number one basket is written up as bad and he goes well this is emergency situation this guy needs gas so we'll just give it a try and he goes uh you know they figure out how much gas we can push and they call him up and they tell him come up on uh you know left stabilized and uh the engineer gets to work and he starts putting the hose out and the airplane yaws to the left as the single hose comes out. Yeah. You got that 27-inch diameter basket, 85-foot hose, and it kind of pulls the airplane to the left. Well, I'm sitting there, and I've got, I'm a single lieutenant back in the 90s, and I had bought a Slim Cam VHS recorder, and I had taken the headsets and reversed them as like microphones up into my headset so I can record the conversations going on, the ICS and the radios. Well, as I'm filming this, I'm really excited. I'm getting like frigging the news for, I'm going to be on the news when I I sell this thing. Film at 11. (laughs) Yeah, film at 11, exactly. (laughs) Marine tanker saves this Navy F-14 that was out there. So as I'm filming this, and I'm filming Tony's talking the guy through, hey, call left, stabilized, Roger. Okay, cleared to plug. And the guy plugs, and the airplane moves a little bit. It was like, okay. Well, I pause for a second, and I go look out the left window uh, by the galley, and I don't see a hose out. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And I come back, and I'm, I'm turn the film back on, and I look at the engineer, and I go, there's no hose. What the hell? And he just looks at me and says, shh. <laughs> And so I'm like, I, okay, something's going on. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to continue filming. And, and I'm all in of on sudden, the joke now. <laughs> all of a sudden, all of a sudden you hear um, the guy in the back, the Lance Corporal sitting on the crew seat, looking out the paratroop door. And he goes like, hey, sir, this thing's spitting a lot of fuel. They got a bad plug. And the engineer says, hey, sir, I, I told you that plug's shitty. Uh, it was written up. And he goes, yeah, so so Bernie gets on there and he's got this real heavy accent and he's like, 
Hey, spade one six, uh, pull out and we'll uh, try to readjust the holes and try it again. And so the guy's like, Roger that. Well, as he unplugs, he goes, I'm plugging. All of a sudden, the guy in the back goes, holy shit, sir. It is spewing a ton of gas right down that guy's intake. And then, <laughs> then you hear the F-14 pilot go, Mayday, 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 we're on fire. We're on fire. Eject, no. eject, eject. And Tony's in the right seat, and his eyes are about this big. Bernie looks to the left, pulls his glasses off, looks out, looks back, looks back out, and goes, holy shit, mark this position, mark this position. And um, the navigator's doing his stuff, and the loadmaster, hey, get on the radio, call Kefelvik on the HF. Tell him that uh, that F-14 just went down, blah, 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 blah. And... The guy's like trying to call Kefelvik on the HF, and we're doing a turn. We're starting to turn. Well, there was a cloud deck, maybe a thousand, two thousand feet below us, and he goes, "Hey, where'd he go? Oh, that F-14 went through the cloud deck, sir." It's like, "Holy shit!" So we spin it around, and you can't see anything. There's no smoke, no jet, nothing. And we're coming around, and we're doing our stuff. And so we start talking about what can we do for these guys. We could throw the rafts out if we got down low enough over the water. We could open up the ramp and tail and throw the seven-man raft out because they're over the North Atlantic, and it's cold. You know, there's no way these dudes would last more than 15 minutes, even in the poopy suits. And as we're sitting there flying along, all of a sudden the oh, ELT boy. goes off. Uh, and you hear you hear the ELT going off. And it's like, yeah. holy shit, these guys, these guys are in the water now, you know, because it's salt activated, salt water activated. And... Now we're talking about, okay, how much gas do we have, and how low is this cloud deck? I mean, can we descend not knowing altimeter, and how, how long before you could impact the water? I mean, there were a lot of what-ifs. So we're going through all the scenarios. And finally, Bernie, uh, Bernie looks at everyone and goes, guys, and he's just dead serious. He says, look, uh, we got an issue here. We gave these guys gas on a bad hose, right? So now when we get back, we're going to get feed nabbed. They're going to take our wings away. Now, I've been flying for a long time. I'm a passed over major. It doesn't matter to me. But he looked at Tony and he goes, you and Taco, you guys, you're brand new lieutenants in the fleet. You guys, you're never going to fly again. You're going to go be a comm officer or something. You know, just, I, I, I don't know. Um, I just don't know. And everyone got kind of silence. And the warrant officer navigator, who was an instructor for the young guy, he comes on the ICS and goes, what are you suggesting, sir? And Bernie goes, you know what? I hate to say it. Fuck them. They were going to die anyway. <laughs> and everyone's eyes kind of got big. And he goes, I'm, t- I'm telling you, these guys were going to lose, you know, run out of gas. They were going to crash out in the middle of North Atlantic. They'd freeze their balls off and die of exposure. So, you know, why should we lose our careers over a couple jet yeah, pointy those, those guys. jet guys? Fuck them. <laughs> fuck those guys. And so so uh, it goes through the crew, right? There's, there's about 12 of us because this is a training flight. And it, he goes through the crew from the lowest Lance Corporal up to uh, finally the two lieutenants and the, and the captain. And he goes... Uh, we're taking a vote, all right? We'll take a vote on this, and uh, everyone has to be in agreement. We have to be in 100% agreement. If there's one guy that says, I don't agree with this, then you know what? We'll go to Keflavik and we'll fess up. 
and we'll take our our punishment. But otherwise, you know, it's going to be we'll just say it never happened. <laughs> and somebody gets on the radio. I think it was the loadmasters, like. Sir, you know, we're going to be up there for two weeks. That's going to be really tough to read that in the uh, base newspaper. And the, and the wife and the kids don't know what happened to the, their spouse. And they just disappeared over the North Atlantic. And he goes, it's like freaking UFOs, boys. Shit happens all the time. I mean, those guys just disappear. People disappear all the time. And in South America, you don't know where they go. They just disappear. And, and so it gets up, you know, um, Lance Corporal Smuckatelli. I say, we go on, sir. Lance Corporal Smith, sir, press on. Corporal, uh, press on, sir. Sergeant Butthole, press on, sir. Staff Sergeant Butthole, press on, sir. And it gets all the way up. And he goes, Taco. And uh, I'm like, sir, this is this is a really hard decision that you're putting on us as final. He goes, well, we're officers. We we lead the pack. So uh, what is your what is your decision? And I said, uh, yeah press on and so he looks at tony and he goes tony what about you and tony tony you gotta understand is this big dude from iowa i mean huge guy uh nationally ranked kickboxer and tony <laughs> looks at him and i mean they're daggers in his eyes right and he looks at me like you spineless son of a bitch and in he just is so mad and he looks at me like i, I it was it was like Come on, man, help me! And I, I just looked at him and I go, <laughs> "You get, you're so giving Tony the signal. Goes, press on, press on." And and Tony just crosses his arm. He doesn't look at him. He looks straight ahead out of the cockpit, and he just goes. <laughs> so on we which, go, right? Which, for the and listeners, it's, it's it's he's given the straight. He's given the press ahead signal, straight ahead. Yeah, I'm giving straight ahead. Keep going. And Tony is sitting there, and he's steaming. And the entire crew is quiet. There's not a, 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 a word spoken. And Bernie looks over and goes, you know what, Tony? I can sense a little tension. Um, why don't you get out of the seat and put Taco in the seat? And Tony undoes the uh, release and the seat slams back. And as he's about to get out, Bernie reaches over and grabs him and goes, Tony, welcome to Herx. That was just a drill. There was no F-14. And he's like, what? What? And, and everyone's like, congrats, man. They're all patting him on the back. And, then, you know, he's, think, he's thinking, they're lying to me, man. They're trying to get me to, you know, feel better about it. And then they're just like, no, no, dude. Uh, you, we do this to every nugget. You just happened to be in the seat. Mitch was in the left. You were in the right. You had to bite the bullet. Sorry about that. And then he goes, dude, it sounded so real. And then all of a sudden you hear the guy in the back puts his oxygen mask on and goes, Hey, uh, Marine Tanker, this is Spade One Six. Uh, hey, do you think you could send some pizzas down here? It's kind of cold, <laughs> you know. And so we start laughing. He goes, "But what about the ELT?" Well, they took an ELT out of the um, uh, May West survival and they, radio. They put oh, it in test put it mode, in test survival mode. radio, ah. and they hit it, and that's what gave oh, off over the radio. Gosh, they can hear on that the guard frequency awesome. of the oh, locator. My God. So, oh. and that is how all. Great aviation tales begin, and in this case, ends. Practical oh, joke no, no, no. played on better. the first officer. Oh, even better. Okay, hold, hold on. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. 
Hey everybody, repeat here. We have with us a special guest tonight. We got to tell you who we don't. No one even knows who you are yet. So repeat here, coming to you from New Hampshire, well, co-host yeah, I'm, I'm Fig hanging out here in Kearney, Missouri, for a couple more days. It is our pleasure to introduce to you Taco, and that is a great story. Taco, finish the story, bro. <laughs> It's awesome. Finish it, man. It gets better. Well, How does it get better? It gets better That's awesome. Because Tony goes, you know, at first I thought you guys were just screwing with me. You know, that I thought you're screwing with me. This really did happen. You're trying to assuage my feelings or whatever. And uh, he goes, oh, no, no. Let me tell you about old Harry Larry. Larry runs into the FDO, uh, SDO officer in Keflavik when we got there. And he runs in and goes, Hey, you guys, I have the coordinates where this F-14 crashed. You got to go out and save no. them, blah, blah, blah. And, and, the, and the SDO looks at him and says, well, I'm sorry, say again, sir. And he goes, this F-14 was trying to refuel off of us, and it blew up over the ocean, and the guys ejected and all this. And Bernie happened to be the AC, and he's walking up, and he goes, don't worry, boys. We got him. It's okay. He, it, and, the, and the guy behind the desk is like, what? sir, we don't have any F-14 station in Keflavik. You don't? No, we have F-15 Eagles and we got uh, P-3s. <laughs> and he's like, were they off a carrier? No, sir, there's no carriers around here. Yeah. And no P-3s and 15s <laughs> off carrier anyway, but, you know, that's... That is a, <laughs> that is a great yeah, story. And, and with, I mean, you know, I, I thought we had uh, some good practical jokes <sighs> on lock. Those guys got it on lock! <laughs> oh, man, I tell you, I tell you what, uh, the Hurt community, I love flying... KC-130s in the Hurt community. It was fun. We were a constant, your own road show. You had, you know, three pilots normally. You had uh, five, six guys in the back. You're your rolling rock band. Right. And it was just always a good time. So if you haven't picked up on it, so, uh, folks, uh, Taco is a Marine Aviator KC-130 pilot. And uh, <laughs> obviously he... Has some good stories because that's just right out of the gate. Wow. <laughs> yeah, boom! Likes what he do. So, speaking of what you do, how long have you been flying, and how'd you my, get into uh, it? There, my Taco? uncle was F fourteen Rio with uh, the Pukin Dogs, one forty three out of Virginia Beach. So my it was my okay. mom's brother, and he was a he was a Rio there, but larger than life. This guy was six foot seven. Holy shit! Um, they called him Big Bird. Yeah, he was huge to fit in the back of that that uh shoehorned him in in the back of an f-14 but he owned a cherokee 140 so as a kid he would take me flying and i just always wanted to be a pilot so that was it yeah. and then i got my first commercial airline ride in 71 and my aunt was a gate agent for american so i was on a uh, 7-2 shorty from dca to knoxville and the flight attendant or stewardess back then goes hey little boy you want to go sit in the cockpit and i I'm like yeah and I sat up there, and the, the pilot, you know, had the big Ray-Bans on. They had their JEPS charts hanging over the the visors. Oh, and yeah. They, they're sitting there smoking cigarettes. and You know, my parents smoked, so it, to, as a young kid, that didn't matter. Engineer gave me a cookie. Um, I sat in the, in the cockpit the whole way to Knoxville, and then after that, what do you want to be? I want to be an airline pilot. I want to be a pilot. So I set my goals. And Why the hell wouldn't you? That was it. They didn't give you a yeah, cigarette? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, kid, here's a smoke. <laughs> Hey, Johnny, you, you ever seen a grown man you naked? Like gladiator you ever movie. been inside a Turkish prison? Yeah, you like gladiator movies, Johnny? Yeah. Hey, right. you're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, man. Get the wrong weight. Quit sniffing blue. <laughs> wow. No, so it was always good. Man, you know what? Wow. As a, uh, I don't have it with me. I got a bunch of junk behind me, but 
I have a 727 panel. Were you guys engineers by chance? I was, but only on the McDonnell Douglas DC-10. How about you, Frank? I never flew a Boeing until three years ago. I went to the 777. And now he'll tell you, he's... (sighs) He's I can't spell Boeing. I can't spell VNAV. <laughs> yeah, because if you fly an Airbus, takes a good pilot, makes some average, and takes an average pilot, makes some good. That's right. Yeah, you got to be on your toes. Right. I got. I got what? I'll tell you. It was a hard transition at fifty-nine years old to go from a flying McDonnell Douglas airplanes for thirty-two years to switch over to Boeing. It is a it is. different mindset. It's like, oh, wait, why are you doing it that way? Yeah, That's I, I stupid. I the 80, and it, it was like a 57 Chevy. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. I love McDonald's. Well, when, I, when, I was a, when I was a brand new but, engineer you know, on the uh, panel, I used to wear the engineer hat, you know, like a train engineer hat, the black and white thing. <laughs> and so I'd sit in the seat, oh, yeah, do yeah, my yeah. stuff, yeah. and I would have the hat on, and kids and people would come on, and people, some people would get it. Oh, you're the engineer. I'm like, yeah. And then one day this, this lady comes up from first class, the captain, the FO, they're up getting coffee. And she goes, excuse me, can I use the lavatory? And I looked over and the, the cockpit door had rubber band that would go around it. And the lav door was right there. Yeah. If nobody was in the lav, you put the rubber band because if not, the door would swing shut. The airplanes were so bent. Well, I looked down, the lav is obviously empty because of the rubber band holding the door open. So I opened the fuel dump panel, which is on the wall adjacent to the bathroom. And I open it up and I look in the fuel dump panel. I go like this and I go, no, ma'am, it's empty. Go ahead. And so she goes inside the, the lab and she's in there for about a minute. The door goes occupied and then she comes right back out and she goes, is that a one-way mirror in that lab? And I go, no, 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 it's not. And she goes, well, then how did you know it was empty? And I go, ma'am, um, you know, I, I just, I just knew. And she goes, I want to see what you're looking at. I'm like, I'm sorry, man. FA rules. You're not allowed in the flight deck. And then she got rid. I mean, like your shirt started creeping up her neck. And I realized, you know what? I'm on probation. That was actually pretty stupid. Maybe I go, you know what, ma'am? I'm just teasing. Come on in. And so she comes in and I open up the fuel dump panel and I said, go ahead and look. So she looks in there and she goes, we can't see anything. It's a bunch of switches. And dust. And I go, yeah, no, you can't see anything. Well, then how did you know it was empty? I go, now, I want you to step completely in the flight deck. And so she steps in, and the door goes, and shuts. So now we're locked in there. And I said, uh, see the rubber band on that handle? She goes, yeah. And I go, the door does that. So to keep the door open, we put it around the lab. If nobody's in the lab, I keep the, the rubber band on there. That's how I knew. And she thought that was the funniest thing. She turned out to be the vice vice president of operations for Burger King. And she gave me um, a stack of, I mean, like a stack of free Whopper coupons. Good for anywhere, redeemable anywhere. And so I'm like going through Miami airport. Hey, I get a Whopper, please. That's great. So it pays to have a little bit of sense of humor. Well, yeah. Just just a wee bit. And you guys didn't know what you're going to get, did you? No. Taco, this is great. Beautiful. So, well, let me mention it. Uh, Those who want to hear more of these stories, although you tend to uh, bring other folks along and talk about their stories, Taco has a show of his own on YouTube and Facebook, Tall Tales with Taco. And you do that on on Taco Tuesdays? Sometimes I'll tape them. uh, If I'm not available that night, I won't be live. I'll just 
uh, tape them, and then StreamYard allows you to play it live. But um, nice. yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it started out as a hobby with COVID. It was VJ Day, and I got on uh, my phone. Facebook had just started this about three years ago with the Facebook Live. And so I called a couple World War II guys I knew, um, and I, I basically interviewed them over the phone on Facebook Live. Excuse me. And, and okay. somebody says, hey, you need to start a podcast. And I'm like, I don't know what a hell a podcast is. And Anyway, I started a podcast. So my first guest was uh, Scott Gibson, who played Major Haldane uh, in Band of Brothers. Or not Band of Brothers. I'm sorry, Scott. Uh, the, the Pacific. Yeah. He was um, E.B. Sledge's company commander. And he's a buddy. He's a Canadian. He's a buddy okay. of mine. And so I called him up and said, hey, would you be my my first guest. And he goes, yeah, sure, Taco. So I had him on. Then I had uh, Dale Dye, who yeah. you've seen in all yeah, the yeah. movies, and military advisor, and he has <laughs> his company, and Dale was my second guest. And my third guest was uh, Don Graves, uh, Iwo Jima vet. And then it just kind of went went from there, you know, just whoever I find interesting, I want to talk to and just shoot the shit. Yeah, we, uh, so, I, I watched uh, uh, yours with all the guys that actually did the flying in the original Top Gun movie. Oh yeah, yeah. That is that is one of my yeah. Oh, that was a great one. Yeah, yeah. Did, that was a great you know, show. It's it's crazy. There was a guy over in the UK who has his Top Gun uh, fan club site, and we had gotten a hold of a bunch of these Top Gun guys that were original bros yeah. from Top Gun that were in the movie. And then what we did was we did a on May sixteenth we did this entire day. It was six and a half hours of podcasting five shows back to back and with a 15 minute break in between. That's brutal. And so uh, one thing you learn when you use StreamYard, when you send the invite link, you, and then you send a link with, to the show, you have to make sure you specify this is only for you. So what one of the guys did was send it out to uh, God and creation. And all of a sudden down in the bottom, I have 400 people trying to get into the, in the green room, trying to get onto the, Show it was funny. I'm like kick out, kick out, kick out, kick out. But no, that was a blast. Talk to all those guys that were in the original shows. That was um, a good show. As a matter of fact, I watched it was good. Actually, it's a couple hours long. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was that. I think that was just an hour and a half. I was pain. So if you go on Tall Tales with Taco Bell, it's a. Uh, yeah, it was about a. Each one was about an hour, hour and a half. I mean, I had Viper, the original. Um, you know, Viper. Uh, Admiral Pettigrew and yeah. Uh, yeah. got Hollywood and Jambo um, got all those guys all those all those guys were just phenomenal and then we did a Top Gun uh, deal out in San Diego for the last two years they all came so we had old this year we had old original uh, 86 cast member or not cast members but uh, pilots and then we had Ferg Ferguson and all those guys in the new Maverick. So it was really neat to to get their input on how they filmed uh, both movies from 86 where there was no CGI. All that stuff was no kidding film. The, you, you know, as corny as people can say Top Gun is, the dialogue or whatever, yeah. those flying scenes are by far... The, the aerial photography the charts, was the off best. the charts. And... Right. 
up to that point. Yeah, yeah ne- never been, never been. The only time it had been done, I would say, would be uh, the final countdown. Oh right. Um, yeah. There was a little bit of that. Yeah, in the there. final yep. countdown Absolutely. had some, but not not to the degree oh, that it God, was no. in time. Uh, Clay Lacy, some of the aerial photography, the the stuff that they had, the cameras mounted on their uh, heater Heatley, who. Um, yeah, I have his book. You yep. Know, yep. I have that book. Yep. Dude, all yeah, of us our age, yep. we grew up on this diet and Top Gun. I mean, you know what? How many times when you were in college, when that movie came out, all right, in 86, I joined in February of 86. My Oso was Captain David Berger, um, since retired Commandant Berger. And I joined in February of 86. In May, Top Gun comes out. Right. I see him in September, and he goes, I tell you what, Bell, you're damn lucky. I'm like, what's that, sir? And he goes, because after that movie came out, you're sorry, yes, your 2.8 history major would be a truck driver right That's now. Right. What's the name of that truck driver? He goes, I'm turning away. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, what's, what's that, that truck driving school? Truck masters? He goes, truck masters. Truck masters, what, 800 truck masters? <laughs> oh. Yeah, he goes, he goes, man, I'm turning away 3.8 double uh, E engineering majors from Virginia right. Tech and... I was like, "Hey, sir, I'd rather rather good than That's lucky right. any day." You know, we you know, lucky we're, we're than good team. any day. We we were the you better be lucky than good. That's right. Time zone uh, taco because um, I uh, I signed my contract to go to the PLC program in uh, December of '85. You know that movie came out in April of '86, and I went to OCS in, May May 16th of '86. I went in June of '86 to to Officer Candidate. Yeah. So I was already you know. I, I'd already signed, uh, you know, I was already in before the movie came out. Of course, I don't know how right. it was for you. Uh, I saw you were at Camp Upshur guy. I was at, you know, I was at Charlie Company there at um, uh, Brown, at Mainside. Was that Brownfield? Mainside. Yeah, Mainside. Yeah. Uh, Brownfield. I was candidate Top Gun Brownfield, along yeah. with the other 50 guys that were PLC air <laughs> candidate Top Gun, right? <laughs> well, candidate Top Gun. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Drop down and give me five. Yeah, my dollars. mama wants fly jets. <laughs> Yeah. You know what's funny before OCS? I got nowhere to go. My mama wants to fly jets, mayonnaise. <laughs> you know, before before going to boot camp, I don't know about yeah. you, but before going to boot camp, you want to watch something. Well, of course, a Full Metal Jacket wasn't available for us. And I watched the DI with Jack. Yeah. So, or as my wife called heavy it, metal heavy metal jacket. Like, no, no. <laughs> Full Metal Jacket. You know, there was, it was Officer and Gentleman, and it was uh, the DI with Jack... Uh, Something. Anyway, those two movies. Oh yeah, yeah. From uh, the, uh, from uh, yeah, those were the Dragnet. only two like DI centric movies to watch. Yep. To to hey, what's boot camp like? Yeah. Now you can get on YouTube. You can watch the DIs yelling at them and doing all that stuff. It takes all the mystique way out of it. So so. Although Full Metal Jacket was pretty realistic. I saw Jack, Jack uh, Webb. The, yeah, That's Jack what it was. Nice job, repeat. Yeah. Uh, just the facts. So I saw you. Just the you facts. Had, uh, you sent some pictures, and uh, one of them was: Did you get so? Did you get a, a ride, a backseat, a backseat ride? And we got a C one thirty guy right? here yeah, with us. Who's broken yeah. the sound? So was barrier. that a backseat of an RF four? <laughs> What's up with that? Yeah, no, it was a, um, it was an Air Force R four D. How the hell? How uh, no, not R four, not R four D, F four D. So how? It was. How does this work? How? Well, first of all, they first of all the answer is no unless you ask, yeah. right? And and you oh, know back in back sad. in flight school, it started with that. I was dating the niece of the LSO over at VT twenty one, a guy named uh, 
Shattuck, Tuck. Hey, you know what? And he, he goes. He works at the same company I do, and we're based in the same domicile. No way. Listen, send me his information, okay. and um, I, I want his information. Okay. So he goes, you know, how are your grades? And we're sitting there talking about stuff. And when I selected, there were 20 of us, right? And they go, it's based off, based off your grades. Wait, what was it? Three things, right? Based off your grades, based off the needs of the Marine Corps, and what you right. want. That was the three things, giving you the middle finger as the final solution. And so the number one guy, Andy Dingy, who was a Harrier yeah, guy, I know him. he put Dingy, jet, yeah. jet, jets, oh, and, yeah. and Andy got, yep. Andy yep. got Harriers. And then number two guy, I cannot remember his name, went helo, 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 because all he ever talked about was being a Cobra guy and swacking dudes. And then I was number three, and I put props, jets, helos, and then no matter what, down below, everyone, they had one jet slot, one prop slot, the rest were helo. So just by the fortune of gods, I got C-130s. Well... My grades, my grades were okay, but not super jet grades. There was, I'm not, I'm not going to blow up my chest. That, I wasn't even close. I had two downs. I had an academic down and a flight down. So I'm not a stud by any means. Oh. And, um, but I worked my ass off and did well through BIs, RIs, and FAMs, forms, PAs, and all that. But the, um, the offer to go fly in the back of a TA-4 at VT-21 was way, you know, I just couldn't pass that up. And so he said, take leave for a week in October. I'll get you on the Lex and we'll go hit the boat. So I go out there, drive from Corpus. I take leave for a week. I still have the leave chit that was assigned by everyone up to the squadron CEO. And it says, prop appreciation ride in the back of a TA4 to the USS Lexington, you know, request permission to do this. And I go out there every single day, drive to Kingsville. And every day... I'm getting kicked off the seat. You know, I do the the whole brief. I could recite that brief by memory. The lead safe or whatever it was. Uh, lead safe? Yeah. You're the lead safe. We're going to be the lead safe. We're going to have four students, blah, blah, four chicks, blah, blah, blah. We're doing this, this, and this. And if uh, any of you guys Baltimore more than twice, we're going to have to escort you back. Um, and I get kicked off the seat every time. And at the very last day, the CEO walks up, looks at, the, my name on the schedule and goes, who's this bell guy? And I'm sitting over there and I raise my hand and he goes, who are you? And I'm like, sir, I'm at VT 31. I'm a flight student going C-130s and I just wanted to go fly in a jet, see what I'm missing. And he goes, go ahead, take the seat. So I run down Paraloff. They get me all rigged out. I get a couple I love me shots in front of the jet, go fly out there. We take the four jets out and each guy does their deal. And now the last guy comes in and he bolters. So as he's coming around, my, um, and it wasn't Shattuck. Uh, Shattuck ended up getting me uh, another guy. Uh, I was in the backseat of another guy, uh, some lieutenant. We got right on that guy's, on the student's wing, and we flew downwind with him and then turned and then came back, and they, you know, call the ball, 2.2, roger ball, whatever. And we, we came in right down the guy, I mean, flying formation with him all the way down, he didn't even know we were there. We were right tucked in. Yeah. And when that guy caught the wire, we went down the side of the ship, came up, and then they marshal, put us in the marshal to come in to land. Well, he goes, hey, make sure that your seat harness is locked. And I go, oh, okay, great. And, and I had a 300 zoom lens <laughs> camera on my Canon FTB that I, I took photos with. So I put everything away. 
and you had that big giant gyro and you had the ice spitting pieces of ice at me, you know, and it was like, God. Yeah. And we come in over the deck and I remember, I go, wow, look how fast, you know, obviously you get a sensation of speed. And I see the deck apes right as we go over the, the end of the aircraft carrier. And that's when we caught the wire. And dude, I had whiplash for two weeks. I'm like flying in my King Air and I'm going, <laughs> yeah, three down and locked. I could have turned my neck, saved oh. my life. But that, that was awesome. Yeah. But then fast forward in 90, December of 92, we picked up a mission to go to uh, Hawaii. And nobody wanted to go because it was December right before, you know, it, our airplanes broke down. Yeah, no one uh, wants to go to Christmas. Hawaii in December. Yeah, 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 but not, not right before Christmas. <laughs> yeah, there's the rub. There was, there, was only, there was only like maybe five single guys out of 30 pilots. So guess which, you know, three single dudes were on the airplane flying out there. Me, right. Paul Gomez, and uh, Harry Larry. And we go out to Honolulu. Well, Larry, I flew the first day on Tuesday. And on Sunday, we did the mission brief with these F-4 guys. Uh, they were from Tricor Company out of the Mojave Desert. And they had uh, F-4s from the Air Force um, with uh, probes welded to the side of the aircraft. So we, on Tuesday, gave these guys nice. gas at like 25,000 feet. And in Vietnam, you know, they talk about having to toboggan the F-4s because they were so heavy they would stall out of the basket. Well, these guys are slick wing. All they had was a... Uh, a big drone in the center tank uh, down the center line of the F4. Oh. They got the gas and the guy pulls up on the right side of my C130 right off the wing. And he goes, Hey, is, uh, is that you taco? And I'm like, yeah, is that you Dick? And he goes, yeah, I thought you wanted to go for a ride. Cause on Sunday I said, Hey, uh, Dick, any chance I get a, a ride in the back of a F4? And he goes, ah, uh, I don't know, you know, insurance or whatever. I, I'm not sure. I'm like, okay, you know, I just wanted to ask. And so he's sitting right off my wing. And first of all, the AC goes, hey, could you tell that guy to move away from the, the plane, his jet away from the plane? Because he was really close. And I said, hey, could you do me a favor and back up? Yeah, there's the F4. And it says experimental up there, if you look, yeah. uh, up under the canopy. It says experimental. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm playing a picture. I put a picture up for our, those watching on YouTube. Yeah, it's Rumble. got a big drone in the bottom of it. Okay. Oh, yeah, it does. Okay. And, and so I said, nice. yeah, yeah, I want to go fly with you. And he says, well, on Thursday, uh, I've got, we got two empty seats. So you bring another Marine over with you. We'll put you in the back of the, the F4s. And I'm like, holy shit, that's awesome. Well, of course, Larry, since I flew on Tuesday, Larry had to fly on Thursday. So he was a bit upset. You know, he had, he couldn't go. And I ended up taking Mike Aldridge, one of my Lance Corporals in the back. No seat training. He had no seat training. I did. I had all my sequels because uh, I went from Corpus or Pensacola to Corpus. So you had to get all your sequels. Yeah, there's a, a shot I took from the uh, back of the F4. It had pretty good viz for the plug because it, it was welded and extended up by the pilot. Yeah. And yeah. and that so we're refueling off of uh, my Herc. The plug means the probe that hit yeah. the refueling basket. Yeah, I'm showing yeah, that that's, on YouTube it's now It's a 27-inch well. okay. diameter basket that gets into the airflow and just hangs there. And um, I, we were notorious, I hate to admit, and uh, Fig, you guys, you guys both probably endured the wrath of a 
a bad hose yeah. where it gets to the sine wave. Yeah. You plug in, you get the sine wave, and if you don't get backed out quick yeah, enough, that thing will rip your probe right off, and we come home to Cherry Point or whatever with a yeah. probe dragon off of our chute. But um, but that that deal, man, that dude, we went up to 50,000 feet. And so we're at 50,000 feet, two F4s, opposite headings, and we're doing Mach 1.3. And then they've got a Learjet up flying over us, and he's got all these uh, telemetry cameras and all. They've got crews in there that do their specialized deals. And we launched these two drones. The drones go up to 80,000 feet. And then they come down on this uh, Aegis-class cruiser. I want to say it was a Shenandoah. And the drones come down at like Mach 8. And they they do their defense stuff. So after we shoot, we, we are both 180s and get the hell out of Dodge. Because they're shooting shit up to destroy the drone. Well, as we do the turn, he climbs up to 53,000. And... And it's a, it was really hard to breathe. It was 100% forced oxygen. I just remember right. it being uncomfortable, very uncomfortable with the, the trying to talk with the oxygen being shoved in your face. And I look up, and the sky is no longer blue. It was black. I couldn't see stars or anything. It was just black. And I look down, and all the big cumulus thunderstorms that were down uh, over the ocean and around the area, they, they looked really small. And... And out of the blue, his name was Dick Lawyer. So if you go Google Dick Lawyer Aviator, his obituary would come up. And his obituary is, is oh wild. Uh, years later, I found this out. We're sitting there, and he's just, I can see the back of his helmet. And his head is just doing this, right? And it's kind of looking left and right up into the black void. And I'm, th- and he's and I'm thinking, straight up. What, okay. what the hell is this guy doing? You know, his head, he's just looking up here. We're at 53,000. He, uh, out of the blue, goes, you know, Hey, Taco, uh, if uh, we lose an engine or something, don't worry about ejecting because we'll be dead. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. What are you talking about? Dick. You know, I'm in a C-130 guy. I'd never been above uh, 25,000 feet in my life. Right. And the guy goes, yeah, you know, above 50,000 feet, if you lose pressurization, you got to be in a spacesuit or your blood will boil. Wait a minute. What? And I'm going, what? how much longer are we going to be up here? Wait, I, what? Wait, what? what? Your blood boils. <laughs> and so I pull my gloves off, my flight gloves, and I'm looking at my fingernails, trying to remember my physiology crap. Oh, if they turn blue like you're getting. And I'm like, is this guy crazy or what? And then eventually we come down, and then we go refuel off our tanker. And then the ship says, hey, would you guys do a flyby? And he goes, Roger that, fly by. And they're like, altimeters uh, 3012, uh, hard decks, white caps. So, Roger that. So, the dude <laughs> yes, is, it is. Uh, <laughs> the dash two is behind me or behind us, right on our wing. And we're coming down. Okay. And we cross the front of the ship, the bow of the ship, and we climb up, turn at 2,500 feet. And then we come back down from the back of the ship. Because you, if you could imagine being on the ship, and we're coming up from the stern, from the back, and each F four is below the what do you call that the the railing, the gun line or whatever. We're we oh, the well, when when I yeah. look back, Dash Two had a rooster tail off the ocean. Oh shit! That's how low we were. Oh, shit! So when we when we came down the side of the ship, we were we were right above the ocean, right, and we come up and he hits. He goes midship. He goes three, two, one, burners now. 
And he does that, and I'm filming with my my camera I have, that um, uh, skinny VHF thing. And all of a sudden, it just goes, oh. And I gray out, and the airplane goes vertical, and he starts, both of them are doing Ella run rolls up to 35,000. Oh, just fantastic. So that was, oh, that was awesome. And then we level out at like um, 35,000. We're heading back to Barber's Point. And we're going back there, and he lets me fly. And he's like, oh, easy, big boy. Because you can't feel mock. You can't feel that you're going faster than the speed of sound. But you get the little gauge. And he goes, oh. I'm like, what? What, sir? And he goes, look, look. Well, it turns out this dude was a freaking secret astronaut. What does that mean? And he, what uh, that? I saw that in your notes. What does that mean? Well, when, when I met yeah. him. When I met him, he says, hey, my name is Richard Lawyer. Everyone calls me Dick. Remember, all dicks, uh, all lawyers are dicks except for me. And that's how I always remembered his name, right? It was a great intro. Um, when they did the, the initial Mercury program, they knew they were going to transition into the Gemini, right? The two-man capsule. So the Air Force had right. a secret tryout program for secret astronauts. And these guys, you know how a toilet seat costs $500, you know, or a hammer sure. costs 1000 bucks. Sure. Same right, deal. Right. They, yeah. were, they were basically doing black, black project budgets, and they were going to have a manned orbital um, um, deal. It was called an MOL program, and it was basically a big Gemini capsule with an extended center line and would have cameras in it. So they could launch from wherever on Vandenberg on a secret mission, fly up over Russia or whatever they wanted to photograph, take the pictures and then come back and splash out into the ocean. So all those guys had to go through all of the training the regular astronauts went through, the spin and puke and the, you know, the uh, right stuff, all that physical stuff. Those guys did the exact same thing. But he never got to go into outer space because the program got canceled. Lockheed came out and they said, hey, we can build you this satellite with the camera better than what you could put in Gemini. And get this, it'll take all these 35 millimeter or 50 millimeter films and it'll poop them out and it'll have a parachute. And you can have one of your C-130s out there by Hawaii, go out there with the pincers and intercept the parachute and suck it in, develop the photographs. And there you go. So they went with that. So what happened was Damn. years later, now this top secret, right? This program's never been declassified. And they're at... Well, well thanks for telling us. <laughs> at, at the time. Bead at window. the time, right? Big window. So... Big window. Big window. Yeah. Uh, my, yeah. Crank call. Crank call. So, so these guys are cleaning out bunkers at Cape Canaveral, and they come across a hidden bunker that had never been opened in years. They open this bunker up. And they see all these Gemini spacesuits in it with all these jackets on all the pilots and uh, information. And, and they found Dick Lawyer. Well, I guess the other guys were dead. And they called Dick Lawyer up and they go, hey, sir, uh, we found your spacesuit here at Cape Canaveral, your Gemini spacesuit. How do you have a Gemini spacesuit? Because we know who the, the astronauts were. Why were all you guys in this bunker? And, and, and he was like, I can't tell you. Uh, I, don't I, I don't know what you're talking about. Know. And they're like, sir, sir, this, this program has been declassified. And he goes, 
gentlemen, I, I still don't know what you're talking about. Oh. And they go, sir, do you have a fax machine or anything that we can send you, uh, the declassification of this program? And he goes, yeah, there's a machine. You can fax it to me. And they fax him the copy of the declassification. And he goes, yeah, I was in that program. <laughs> and they're like, no kidding. What was it? So they start talking about it. You know what? He never told his wife. How's that for keeping a secret? Wow. Yeah, he never told his there wife. You go. Weird. Royce, Captain Royce Williams. <laughs> same same kind of deal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I never shot down. Not 50 a years, so, not a word. Maybe five MIGs so over Korea. Nope, wasn't me. <laughs> wasn't even there. Huh. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> no, it never happened. Yeah. It didn't wow, happen. Wow, that is but a good anyway, story. That, that was cool. Cool story. Different. That so that's how I got an F4 ride. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Mach 1.3, 53,000 feet. So that was another prop appreciation deal. Well, that's pretty damn awesome. Yeah. Now, you, no uh, you were, let's see. Uh, no kidding. Two. Yeah. He was at Cherry Point, same time we were. We never ran oh, into each oh, other. Oh, 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 there I was. Yeah, so there I was. I knew it was coming. So there I so there I was at the at the dirty shame. No. Friggin' our buddy Curly. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Our buddy Curly. We've had Curly on. Vicious. A vicious pack of lieutenants. Yes. He is that was an awesome show. That's what I tell all my friends. You gotta watch that one. Curly was bringing some uh there was a two ship and they were going to an air show and they stopped in Knoxville, Tennessee to get gas. And I had landed my Cherokee 140, which I kept up in New Bern. Um, and I landed to visit my grandparents before I shipped off to Okinawa two weeks later. Excuse me, for a year. And so I, I see the Harriers land. They taxi up to the FBO and out jumps Curly, takes his helmet off. And I'm like, hey, Curly. And I run up to him. Hey, what's up, Taco? We're sitting there shooting the shit. And... uh uh, this private jet pulls up to the FBO and the door opens up and this little bald dude comes beelining straight for us and runs over to the jets. And he goes, hey, 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 boys. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, listen, I, I want to ride in the back of this Harrier. And he's like, well, sir, I, I don't think that's possible and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, no, you don't understand. All I got to do is call Bob up in, uh, you know, General Bob, whoever, Hoover up in the Pentagon and tell him, hey, it's Jimmy Buffett. Uh, and I've flown an F-15, F-14, F-16. I want to ride in the back ever since uh, I saw Arnold Schwarzenegger in uh, True Lies. I want to go, I want to go fly in a Harrier. And at the time, um, his jet was busted <laughs> because it would only take fuel one side of the, uh, the plane. And anyway, we, we ended up shooting the shit with him for... God, probably 45 minutes before his handlers came to get him and go, hey, uh, Jimmy, we got to get going. Your concert's tonight, you know. <laughs> um, anyway, I went, ended up going to the concert and taking my aunt with me, and that was a neat, it's kind of related. Jimmy died on Friday. What a great guy. Yeah, uh, God um, rest his soul. What? God rest, Godspeed, because you know yeah. what? He, the interesting thing he said was, we were talking about airplanes, and uh, you know, I own an airplane. Jimmy owns quite a few airplanes or had. And he says, I can't sell my airplanes. I have to uh, basically uh, just not okay. destroy them, but um, ground them. I, they, they can't be sold. My lawyer basically told me that if anybody crashed in my airplane, they would, even though the books were cleared and it was sale, it could be a year later, they turn around and sue me. And my estate and everything. So he goes, it's not even worth dealing with. So wow. 
you know, I put my past my airplanes in in restaurants, and you know, I'd ground them, donate them to people or whatever. Yeah. So how about that? Yeah, that was kind of sad. Yeah, he wasn't happy about yeah. that. Oh, who would be? And you know what's funny is I sent Curly a message. I go, hey, Curly, do you remember this? I remember it was you. We were in Knoxville. And he goes, no, I don't recall that at all. <laughs> and then I, I, look, I look back in my day timer, and sure enough, April 7th of 1994, it says uh, TYS with PA28140, Curly and student breakdown in Knoxville. Curly. So Curly was, and I'm like, uh, Curly was in uh, flying at a 203 as an instructor about that time. Is that right? Uh, repeat. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. He right. was. So yeah. you, yes, you, yeah, yeah, and uh, and TYS is the McGee Tyson yeah, Airport yeah, identifier. Knoxville, so, Tennessee. In Knoxville, Tennessee. So yeah, and Sticks is actually on on YouTube. He tells us. Uh, I'm going to back off to another story ever so briefly. That uh, Richard E. Lawyer's story is on Wikipedia. Oh, is it? Yeah. It's now famous. Now it's now more than famous. It is infamous. But yeah. So sorry for that brief diversion. So yeah. So Curly in McGee Tyson. So you went. Oh, that's to, awesome. You went to Okinawa. That's in a great ninety four. Yeah. So when I was over there, the Westpac guys we did a yeah. lot of uh, hash runs. We'd go out there and go run the hash runs around Okinawa, drink a bunch of beers, and sing Irish songs afterwards. Oh, it was a blast. Nice. I loved the year over there. We should go digging for dead Japs. That was. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Was, that. How, how does that work? You wake up in the morning and go. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. One day I decided I'm gonna go uh, dig dead dead, dead Japs. Yeah. No, no. There was there was there was this guy, <laughs> Major Fitzgerald. I'm not going to say his first name. And um, and he Ram, goes rhymes with okay. <laughs> rhymes with. He goes. He's from Boston. And no shit talks like, you know, we're at the bar in Okinawa. And he goes, hey. He goes, hey. Yeah, Havidyad, Pactikad, Havidyad. Hey, hey, Skippers. What are you guys doing tomorrow? We're like, yeah, recovering from our hangover tonight. And he goes, no, you're not. Get your shit together, all right? I want you to get your web belt, get an e-tool, get a flashlight, get a, get a hat with a bandana. You got a stick or anything. I'm like, a stick? And he goes, yeah, yeah, you're going to need a stick. Stick for what? For the banana spiders. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, we're going hunting for dead Japs tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what What? do we do if we find said dead Japs? And he goes, oh, man, this place littered with them. Don't worry about it, Skipper. What we do is we find them, and then we turn them into the Japanese. They'll go retrieve the bodies. I go, why, why don't they go look for them? He goes, well, you don't understand the culture. All right, so they... uh. They would grow the fingernails long, the hair long. They would they would cut it all up, mail it home to mama. And then if uh, they died or whatever, never found the bodies, well, then they had a little piece of them, right? So they just bury that. They're satisfied with that. They don't give a shit about the rest of the body. They got a little bit of Johnny, you know? And so we're like, Man. okay. And he goes, yeah, so I got this book, right? It's written by the army. It's all about the Battle of Okinawa. And we, we've been... Eating Texas popcorn, you know, with hot sauce, sure, yeah, and yeah. you're pretty pretty good. And he's like, uh, yeah, so so I got this deal, right? We're going to drive down. Well, what time do we need to meet? 4 a.m. 4 a.m. Sir, shit, it's 11 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, that's because the traffic's light at 4 a.m. So, and uh, the heat. I'm like, okay. 
goes, yeah, sunrise, you know, like 5, 5.15. So, you know, we got to leave at 4, drive down past Naha. We'll go past Naha. We'll go drive through these farmer fuck fields. And, uh, hey, here's a deal, too. You know what a fucking, you know what a, a habu steak is? Yeah, yes, sir. I know what a habu is. I watch those fight the mongoose. Mm-hmm. He goes, yeah, listen, that's why you need the snake, uh, the stick, too, right? So you uh, you hit any, any mongoose come up, you can uh, get them away from you. I'm like, all right, so now I got to look for a stick. So we drive down, sure shit. We're driving down in one of those little minivans, the little tiny ones. And mini, uh, mini and Major Major F, mini minivan, Major F is up there navigating. He's like, all right, turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right. And he's just guiding through these fields. And what he was doing was looking at the photographs taken in World War II. And even though the foliage was gone, uh, just bombed out, you could still look out there at the ridge line and see the outline of the, the ridges that kind of matched up with the photos. And so he was driving us left, right to get to a position where the Japanese emplacements were and where the heavy battles were. And we would drive through, we'd park, and then we'd walk through some farmer's field. And you get up to the canopy, to the jungle, to the side of the mountain. And when you bust through the canopy, sure enough, man, these goddamn spiders start dropping on you. And they were, they were banana spiders. They're big. It was like Indiana Jones, right? And stuff is dropping through, and you're hearing stuff like splat, splat, splat. And you're looking, and this thing just scurries off. You're like, what the hell was that? It was a banana spider. You know, and, you know I'm like, my octave, my voice goes up about three octaves. I'm, I'm, I can deal with snakes and, and stuff like that, but spiders, like friggin' tarantulas, okay. Big spiders, I don't like. Yeah. It's one thing if yeah, they're two well, inches across. Like, but... like black widows and stuff, I don't like those. <laughs> but uh, brown recluse, yeah. missing a hole yeah. in your head. Well, we go up, and then as we're walking along the ridge line, once you get inside the canopy, it's, it's open. And it's very hot and steamy. It's really hot and steamy in there. And we walk up, and we're walking along the ridge line. And he goes, all right, right here, start digging. Get your e-tools out and start digging. So we got the e-tools out. We're the muscle. And he's directing us. He's a good major. We're the captains, and we're digging the holes. Well, sure enough, man, you dig through about two feet, and all of a sudden it just collapses, and it opens up into a cave. I'm like, how did you know that the cave was here? And he goes, well, see, down the wall, the Marines, they didn't want to go in there and, and, and try to attack these guys, so they would just, there's the cave, there's the guy shooting at them, they got mortars, whatever. So they just throw a satchel charge. They blow up the entrance of the cave, trap these motherfuckers. I'm like, okay. Wow. And so then you keep digging, right? You got your E-tool and you dig out a square deal where you can go in like this. You get into this cave and you drop in and it's black as hell. This is, it's pitch black. This is not a good idea. I, I don't I don't know. It, yeah, yeah it, 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 it wasn't, you know, we got in, you do the light, you look, but when you go in, you, you got to go face first and you tumble into this thing. It, it was bizarre. And here's the creepy thing, like thousands, oh, yeah, now we're getting thousands to the creepy of part. centipedes <laughs> on the ceilings. And he goes, uh, and that's why he told me, wear a baseball hat with a bandana and you would tuck it up on the, on the thing and pull the baseball hat so the bandana hung over your neck so they couldn't go down the back of your shirt so when stuff dropped on you it would hit that and you could feel it and then hey somebody swatted off it didn't go down your shirt 
Well, everything inside, uh, all the metal stuff is gone. And the dead bodies are laying there and the ribs are sticking out of the clay. Because over the years, the clay had kind of collapsed inside the cave. And, and I'm thinking, how safe is this? Right. <laughs> no, there's no wood. There's nothing holding us. Yeah, yeah, what, what could go wrong? We're trapped in the cave with a bunch of dead Japs. They'll find our bodies in, yeah. in 50 yeah. years. But um, it actually became very addicting uh, to find, find stuff. So we would find the bodies and we'd find little clay uh, drinking. I've got sake glasses and things like that. You would uh, find lenses from, from their uh, gas mask. Uh, anything rubber, there, there wasn't really much rubber, um, a little bit of the gas mask. The boots, the heels from the boots were still there. On the, on the shelves that they had, you could see all of these cylindrical, round cylindrical deals. And it was um, the explosives from the mortar rounds that had rusted away. And it was just all explosives stacked up. So, you know, you didn't touch anything. But some of these caves were interconnected, and so you would go into the next cave, into the next cave, and they would go on for maybe a fifty yards, oh, hundred yards. Shit! Uh, it was it was amazing in Ugh. in the insect life that was in there. You know how stuff would survive because there's nothing to eat, and I don't know what centipedes eat, but ah, you didn't want to bump right. your head on the ceiling. Dirt. Well, folks, this is somewhat of an unusual ending to one of our shows, but we do that occasionally when we have a couple hours with somebody. So we've broken Taco's show up into two weeks. Join us again next week as we hear more from him. We'll pick up where he went to Iwo Jima for the 50th anniversary of the Battle of Iwo Jima. He'll talk some about his experience in Iraq. And boy, is that hilarious. And that's also when we'll get into the hilarious Fokker 100 story. Hilarious, terrifying. I guess it all depends on perspective. Years later, it's funny. At the time, terrifying. Until next week, thanks for joining us. Please share the show. Stay safe and check six. Repeat out. As of this moment, they're on double secret probation.